0: that's, that's kind of what motivated me to, to write in and contact you because I thought you need some representation of somebody that, uh, a female that has made it in engineering is very much male-dominated. I mean, my whole entire career, it's been all about um, obviously having mentors. You know, you have a mentor that's going to guide you, but you're, it's, you're always having to assert yourself, you know, and it's very male-dominated, and to be able to survive And the fact that, you know, I mean, life's journey, you never know where. It's not that I didn't want to have kids. It just didn't work out that way. So I didn't have children. So my career is a lot my identity. And I think it's important that young girls that are thinking about where are they going to go to college and what are they going to do? And, you know, you don't have to be uh, an accountant or a school teacher. I think that they should pursue their dreams. And if they excel in science or math or have that desire for the robotics that, to go into engineering. You know, I mean,
1: there's. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 273. Hope everyone's having a great week to the week, I should say, as we get into the holiday season here. Don't want to have a lot for housekeeping this week. Uh, looking forward to uh, getting into the holidays myself and spending some time with the family and, and wrapping up things for, for year-end on all sorts of fronts. So This week, we have Anne. She's in her mid-50s. Her net worth is $3.6 million. She's single, a manufacturing engineer. She has $350,000 in a primary residence. It's paid for. She recently paid off when we get into discussion with her about that. She's about 153,000 in a 401k at her current employer, and 3.1 in in a rollover uh, split between some IRAs, regular brokerage, and and some other accounts. About 12,000 in HSA, and a little bit in cash. It's a great episode with with Anne. She wrote into to us, really wanting to pr- provide some rep- representation to uh, kind of the the broader group as a single female. She said she know anticipated to have kids and stuff but that just never worked out and so her career really became kind of a lot of her identity and we get into the the details of that and and uh, how she's navigated that as a single lady so great episode with Anne. really appreciate her writing into us and once again we're always looking for great millionaire interviewees those with the unique stories, and the last week we mentioned we've got uh, requests for some more blue-collar ones. So hopefully we'll get some more uh, great guests coming up here in, in the short term. We've got several in the pipeline, but always looking for more. Last week we had David. He was a music store owner, or I should say, he is a music store owner. He had a net worth of 2.8 million dollars, uh, with about 1.6 of that in his business. Grew up in a little lower to middle-class home, and he never learned how to handle men- money. And he always thought if he could afford the payments, he could buy it. Real interesting episode with David and uh, appreciate uh, all those guests, especially as we kind of go into the year end here. It's been a, an incredible year wrapping up a uh, year five of the podcast. So we'll uh, have some more comments on that and uh, look forward to to what's to come. And once again, if, uh, if somebody's out there worth 300, we got episode 300 coming up here and not too long. So we'd love to have somebody, uh, with a, with a higher level of net worth than than maybe we normally see. Uh, we always learn something different, pick up some different nuggets and and learn uh, in a different way. So once again appreciate uh, all the listeners out there. And without any further ado, let's get into the episode with Ann,
2: Anne, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now?
0: Sure. I'm a, a single uh, engineer and I work in a manufacturing type environment. I live in the uh, northeast section of the country and pretty much uh, have worked my whole life.
2: Awesome. And what is your net worth today?
0: 3,637,000, roughly.
2: And how is that broken up?
0: I have a personal residence that I live in, and it's about 350,000. A work 401k at about 153,000. And then I have a brokerage investment account where most of my uh, holdings are. It's 3,111,000 and HSA at about 12,000. And then in a personal checking type savings account, uh, I could access about twenty two point two thousand dollars
2: Awesome, so let's dive into to that brokerage account a little bit because it's typically different than we usually see, right? We usually see a millionaires that have a large balance in their retirement accounts. You have a large brokerage account. How did that come to be?
0: Well, I have had uh, several opportunities to advance. Some I chose, some I uh, had. A, I was let go from a few jobs, at one after 9-11 and another one um, after a 10-year uh, tenure. So I was able to roll over my 401k into the brokerage account so that I could have it under my own control. I have about 45% of the 3.1 in IRAs and about 30% in annuities. And then about uh, 10% is the brokerage, 10% is real estate, and 5% is the 401k.
3: And then within that, what are they invested in? Stocks, mutual funds, index funds, bonds?
0: Well, there's a a mutual fund. It's actively managed. It's about 30%. And then the annuities... 30% 30% roughly. And then the stocks, it's in excess of a million dollars and about 50% of the stocks is technology. And then real estate is about 10%.
3: So the, the annuities, what are the annuities?
0: The annuities, it's something where early in my like 20s and early 30s, I was with a financial advisor and that's how the money was invested. So that was something that uh, carry over from that financial advisor, and there would be penalties if um, I would try to transfer any of those annuities.
3: And is that still the case?
0: Yes, I believe so. Yeah, I have to wait till I'm 59 and a half before I can actually reallocate them.
3: And what do they pay you?
0: Right now, I mean, they're not doing—they're not doing so bad. They're—they're. They're, I'm trying to make the best of, the, of, of a situation. So I have uh, low costs um, annuities and investments, but I'm trying to make the best out of a bad situation. They're not a good investment, but I can't really get out without the penalty. So I kind of repositioned to try to get a low cost and the best investment for the annuities that are out there.
3: So they're paying what, like a few percent a year or something?
0: No, right now they're paying about 16%. Oh, that's good. Yeah. They're averaging about 16 anywhere. And they were up as high last year, roughly around 22%. So they're doing great.
3: Okay, and and then in terms of money in the market, has has the allocation obviously we just hit on the annuities, but in the in the stock market and in the in some of the retirement accounts, has the allocation always been that way, or have you recently tried to change things, or what's kind of your thoughts on how it's been historically?
0: Well, I had, like I said, I had a financial advisor that kind of steered me into the annuities, and pretty much, um, I I think I was a little naive about that. So once I got to a different financial advisor. I've been investing into stocks and trying to get a better uh distribution of my assets so that it's more diversified. So the stocks are something relatively new. I've been in the stocks for about the last 5 or 6 years and I have a, a higher concentration, a higher risk in technology. So about half 50% of that is in technology stocks.
3: Wow. And but that's more of a recent thing.
0: Yeah, about the last 6 years.
3: So let's talk about the financial advisor. You mentioned that a couple of times. So you currently have a financial advisor?
0: Yes, yes. I had uh, I had one for roughly, about eight, eight, eight years. That was kind of steering things into annuities, and I think that that the benefit for me, I did see a benefit. You know, obviously my money was growing, but so was, uh, so was his his, uh, his take in that as well. And once I got kind of clear on I wanted to stay below about one point five percent roughly with regard to managing the accounts. Uh, I'm an engineer. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that I'm an expert in the financial market. So I feel like I profited from having a financial advisor. And I know oftentimes I listen to enough uh podcasts that it's not recommended, but I've had one pretty much the whole time. and done my own investing as far as a 401k and trying to max that out at work. But when it comes to that lump sum, it's in that brokerage investment account, and it's managed by a financial advisor.
3: So what do they charge you now?
0: I looked at it about last year, in the last uh, 12 months, it's about 0.5% of the total investment.
3: So total, total under the financial advisor. And do you have everything with them? Or do you just give them a portion of your portfolio? Or or all the holdings?
0: Well, I have my 401k at work. And beyond that, most of my investments are with the financial advisor aside from the real estate.
3: Okay. Awesome. And then the real estate, what's the real estate holdings?
0: Uh, it's my residence and it's 350,000. And I currently paid off my mortgage a couple months ago. So it's awesome. Congrats. Thanks.
3: And then sorry, keep going. I interrupted you. <laughs> That's okay. The primary mortgage. And then what else?
0: That's it. I don't. I. I don't have any uh, rental properties or anything like that. Uh, kind of, kind of nice and clean. It's. It's. I don't have real estate other than my primary residence.
3: Okay, got gotcha, you, got gotcha. you. Sorry, I thought you were going to go into something else. Okay, <sighs> so, I mean, let's just back it up here, and I mean, three and a half million dollars or over three now, three point six five, right? You mentioned obviously most in the in the market, annuities, retirement accounts. How did this all get started?
0: Well, I, um, when I got out of college, I ended up getting a job and it was one of those situations where you kind of get thrown into it. I didn't know much about 401ks or anything like that, but there was a match. So I made sure that I got the match and I joined the credit union and had that as like kind of like a savings account. And I think once I got my, my uh, bearings on everything, I started to try to max that out for the tax benefit as well as, you know, accruing, you know, a savings as well. So I would do the 401k, and I think the money started to accrue, and that's when I decided that, you know, I I ought to get somebody else that was, uh, I went to the financial advisor and tried to get things situated that way. I worked at my first job for almost 12 years, and then when I came out of there, of course, I rolled my 401k into the account with the financial advisor. But it was just just basically uh, trying to max out the 401k and living beneath my means and not, you know, not, not being very extravagant and really didn't purchase a house until I was in my mid thirties. So I was able to um, live at a family type of uh, residence and it it worked out for me pretty well.
3: Yeah. And, and along the way, I mean, you you said you started to investing. Do you remember your mid fifties now, if I can say that just because our listeners kind of like to know who they're talking to. Do you remember what your net worth was at age, let's just say 20, 30, and 40? Like, how long did it take you to get to this million, the first million, second, third, once you really started investing?
0: Well, I can say that the first million was around the age of 40, between 40, and 41. And it's grown considerably, especially the last couple of years. So I think once I got on board the last five or so years and started investing in the stocks and getting the very good returns, that's how it accelerated. But I, I, make, I was at the first million at the age of between 40, 41.
3: Forty, forty-one.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
3: And, and before that coming out of school, did you have big student loans or credit cards or card debt, any big loans that you had to pay off early on in your journey?
0: So I, well, when I went to college, uh, most of my college was paid for by my parents. I had summer jobs and, you know, did books and things like that. Be- between my parents and my, I, my grandparents, I was lucky and fortunate to have that, uh, My father actually passed away when I was a junior in college, and there was some help with regard to um, loans there with regard to him passing. But I didn't come out of school with a bunch of debt. So when I went into my first job, I purchased a car. So the very first debt that I had was a car loan. And I think for the first roughly 10 or so years i would get a new car every couple years and that was my debt but i didn't have a mortgage like i said until i was in my mid-30s
3: yeah sorry to hear about your dad that's tough at that age right
0: oh it was it was tough because he was a big influence uh my parents my mom was a stay-at-home mom but my dad was self-employed so we didn't have the the classical uh you know, health insurance, he would, he would pay for doctor's bills, you know, out of pocket, things like that. And he was self-employed and worked very hard, you know, so that was a lesson that I learned in the summers. I would work with my dad and, you know, I would, I had one of those little savings books where, you know, at the end of the summer, he would give me 700, $800 and it would go right into the savings book. And you had that. So it was kind of learned at a very young age that you save your money. It wasn't like you went out and squandered it, you know, it was It was more about saving for a rainy day. And um, I was about 15, and he said that you don't ever want to work this hard to earn a living. He says you want to go to college, which I was kind of on that track anyways. But I had considered being um, a different career, and I chose this career path. I really excelled in science. You know, I was pretty good in math, but I loved the science end of things. And I liked horticulture, but I knew that that wasn't going to pay that kind of income. And I approached things that I was going to be the one, the financial, you know, support for myself. I wasn't really looking for, you know, I was going to build my wealth and I was going to take care, you know, down that path of life. So,
3: And, and did you, would you consider yourself growing up, were you guys lower, middle or upper class?
0: Oh, we were definitely middle to lower middle. You know, he, he, my family didn't take out loans. Oftentimes, you know, uh, anything that was paid for was paid for out of the checking account. It wasn't like he went out and borrowed a bunch of money or anything like that. And basically lived in a mobile home while he built the home or the primary residence. And that took about five and a half years. But as he built, he paid for things, you know, the materials and did a lot of the work himself. And then I remember we moved into that home. Um, I was about 10 years old when we moved in, but It was a long process, but that's that kind of stuck with you. You know, it wasn't like you're going to go out and borrow a bunch of money and never had credit card debt or anything like that. Typically, my parents paid for everything out of a bank account with a personal check.
3: So it sounds like he taught you a little bit about finances or your parents did. So did you feel like you had a good foundation or when you really started saving and earning money and investing? Did you feel like it was a little bit trial and error?
0: Well, I think I, I think I learned along the way. It was it was one of those situations where you know the investments in the stock market. I was a little uncomfortable with trying to do that. I was trying to look for something that was more uh, more conservative. But over a period of time, a lot of my investments I think are more on the riskier side because I am in good financial condition and I, I'm not really worried about you know, taking anything. I don't need it today. I don't need it in the next five years. It's something that's going to just let it sit and forget about it. And I'll need it down the road. So that was a learning process, but it was really more about just putting money away, living beneath my means and making sure that I took advantage always, always of the mapping uh, for, and then trying the best I can to max out that 401k on an annual basis.
2: What year did you start maxing out your retirement accounts or your tax advantage accounts?
0: I think I started doing that when I was in my um, 20s, later 20s.
2: So you maxed it out from the very beginning.
0: Yeah. Early 20s, I didn't do. But by the the later 20s, early 30s, I was maxing out the the 401k.
2: So give or take 18 years for 15 to 18 years for that first million, basically, in retirement accounts? Mm
0: -hmm. Correct.
2: And then after that, it's just snowballed. So now, at what point do you say, this is it? Like, I mean, is there a target net worth you're trying to hit? Or do you want to keep working, you know, to a traditional retirement
0: age? Well, I think, I mean, there's the buzzword is fire, right? So everybody talks about fire. But I think I've made the financial independence part, but I don't have any plan for the future of retiring early. I'm looking at maybe like 60, 62. I don't think I'll work till 67, or maybe I'll do something. But in my actual uh, field, you know, the, the manufacturing environment, I think that I would work until I'm 60 and just keep uh, um, you know, I, I started an HSA. I never had had one of those till a couple years ago. That's a great investment tool. I was a little leery of it at first, you know, but if you're healthy, it's, it's a great tool. My company puts uh, money into the account, and I think that so far that's working out as well. I've accrued about twelve thousand dollars into that, so I'd like to continue with that uh, in addition to the four hundred one k at my employer.
2: When did you pay off the house?
0: Just recently, I paid off the house. I had a very low, uh, very low rate. It was two point seven five, and I was kind of on the edge about whether should I uh, should I take care of paying it off or should I just continue. And uh, a couple months ago, I just decided to pay it off in full. And that has been it's been roughly 18 years took to pay that off. So
2: and you had a 30 year mortgage,
0: I started with a 15 I refinanced a couple times I never I never did the 30 year I did the 15 and uh, refinanced, got the lower rate and then paid it off in 18.
2: And each time you refinance that was just to get a lower rate?
0: It was to get the lower rate. Yes.
2: Never pulled any equity out.
0: No, no.
2: So, what made you decide to pull cash out of the bank and go and pay that off early?
0: I was. It was going to be. Uh, it would be completed next year in September, and I think what was going on with, you know, all the uncertainty in the markets and everything. I. I Kind of convinced myself that it grows more in the investments than it would with that that interest rate, but I guess it was just peace of mind. You know, it's it's a kind of a big milestone, and I had about a year left, and I just decided that I'd pull the money out and just pay it in full and own it free and clear. The only debt that I currently have is I have a like a six thousand dollar car loan with low interest rate as well. And um, that, that's about it for debt.
2: So I paid off one year early. Now you've got the car loan, low interest. Why not do the same thing with that one?
0: I might do that. I don't know. <laughs> it's, that's the only thing. I mean, just putting all my numbers together to talk to both of you, I, I, that's the debt that I have is the car loan.
2: And have you always had car loans?
0: Uh, sometimes I buy them outright. But right now, I kind of have a vehicle that I drive in the summer. And then wintertime, I have an all-wheel drive. So the, um, the winter vehicle is pretty, it's paid off, it's paid in full, and then the summer one, and I buy used cars. Uh, for the first 12 or 13 years of my career, I would buy new cars, and they would depreciate, and I mean, that's not the worst thing that I've ever done, but it didn't make sense, you know, once I got a little bit more mature, and I, I said, I'm not going to do that, so I buy used cars that are in good shape, low mileage, and then drive them for, you know, five, six, seven, eight years.
2: When you're approaching that... To buy a used car, are you looking for a specific, you know, two or three years old with only 20, 30,000 miles? Or what's kind of the approach to, to buying a used car for you?
0: Well, I try to look at something that is low mileage and then a little bit flexible on how old it is. I wouldn't want anything older than four, but kind of in that two to four year range, and then definitely get something that's low miles and has been taken care of and purchase it. Uh, I have a pretty long commute to work and it's about 60 miles, which, you know, where I'm at in the Northeast, it's not that it's traffic, it's more miles. So I want to have something that's kind of economical and, you know, something that I'm going to be putting a lot of miles on over the course of a year, probably put in excess of 30,000 miles on a vehicle. So I kind of split it between the two, the one that I drive in the winter and then the, the summer months, you know, across two vehicles
2: interesting and then you sell them is it a private party sale or do you trade that in as part of the buying the new one or what's kind of the approach there
0: well i've donated i've actually donated a couple of of my older hondas i've donated them but if if it's in pretty decent condition i would trade it in but it's often you know it's it's best just to, to donate it and then you know take it off on your taxes
2: you can donate it to Clark. I think Clark might be in the uh, market for a Honda. He's a Honda guy, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he yeah. lives up there in the Northeast.
0: <laughs> you can't. You can't really beat a Honda. It's, not, it's never in the garage, you know. You, you, they're pretty reliable, and they just go and go.
2: Yeah, totally. So, uh, as you've gone on this journey, you say you're probably not going to quote unquote retire early, but it's like 60 62. Is there a target net worth that would just Give you that a hundred percent peace of mind, or maybe you're already there.
0: I think I'm. I think I'm already there. You know, I don't. I don't have any desire to, like, get to ten million or anything like that. I want to be comfortable. I want to be able to, uh, you know, I guess enjoy life. You know, and to do that, part of that means to have the financial stability, but the other part is to have that mindset. And I still feel very, uh, very involved and and very. Uh, at my, at my employer, you know, so I'm still contributing and it's still, my mind is still real sharp. And I, I think I just want to keep doing that. I, I enjoy the industry that I'm in and it's, it's been a, it's been a good, uh, it's treated me well. And I think part of it too, is that I, uh, I'm not in a hurry. You know, I think I'm kind of happy right where I am and con- to continue doing what I'm doing.
3: What are your expenses annually?
0: I end up, when I put the numbers together for the show, it's in that basically fifty-two to fifty-six thousand dollars a year, roughly.
3: Yeah, I think that's about. Chase, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's about what we hear the most, fifty to seventy-ish, but around sixty really is kind of the yeah. average. Yeah, and then at what about?
0: A year it's fifty-two. You know, I mean, about fifty-two thousand, but it could go up as high as fifty-six. I looked at the last five years.
3: Okay. And then what about income? What's been your range of, of annual income?
0: When I started out uh, out of college for my first job, it was $26,000 a year. And like I said, at that time, I had to finance a car and, and it was one of those, uh, you know, not having to pay a mortgage and, and not having to pay the insurance and the upkeep. I think that really helped things and expedited the savings. Currently, uh, a base salary of about one hundred and twenty-nine thousand, and then there's a bonus. But the bonus depends on the productivity and the results of, you know, the company. They have an equation, but I don't count that as part of my income. But I'm I'm right right below one hundred and thirty right now.
3: Wow, good for you, good for you. And then, how much cash do you hold, just straight cash?
0: Well, that's what I I kind of added that into the equation. It's right now. It's about twenty. 22,000 that I could access between a checking traditional savings account at a bank and then I have some money in that in that uh, investment account that I could access as well without penalty but a lot of that is going to, you know I don't want to incur any penalties so the 59 and a half is going to be that sweet spot but if I had to access you know something came up roughly I could access about $250,000, three hundred thousand dollars of that investment without getting penalties but then that would that would be about it but I, I like to keep you know somewhere in that range um, if things come up with the house or you know something needs done you know it's it's easy to have that accessibility with a traditional bank account
3: yeah so you keep 20 or 30 in there when that balance starts to grow and it hits 40 do you just put it back into the market you just invest it do you save it? for a year and then invested at the beginning of January or how do you kind of manage that cash balance?
0: I kind of have more than I have had recently. I'm currently have a, and I think that's as a result of getting tax refunds or whatever. And, and it'll end up, I'll use it. Maybe I'll redo the kitchen. I did some landscaping, um, fireplace, put stone on a fireplace. So there's different things around the home that I kind of like to do and take it out of that little nest egg as opposed to tapping into the investment accounts I take a lot of pride um i live on a on a 400 acre state lake and it's beautiful a kayak and a dock so the outdoors is is i try to bring the outdoors indoors as far as the beauty and the serenity of that type of environment so i'll end up doing something in investing into my home with that that account but it's kind of just growing over time
3: yeah, yeah. So one thing, Anne, that you wanted to talk about in the intro as we were talking was just that women can do this too, right? And that we haven't admittedly had many single women on the show. So just wanted I listen, to give you...
0: I, yeah, I listen to you guys every week and I, I just think that's that's kind of what motivated me to, to write in and contact you because I thought you need some representation of somebody that... Uh, a female that has made it in engineering is very much male dominated. I mean, my whole entire career, it's been all about um, obviously having mentors, you know, you have a mentor that's gonna guide you, but you're, you're always having to assert yourself, you know, and it's very male dominated and to be able to survive. And the fact that, you know, I mean, life's journey, you never know where, it's not that I didn't wanna have kids, it just didn't work out that way. So I didn't have children. So my career is a lot my identity, and I think it's important that young girls that are thinking about where are they going to go to college and what are they going to do and, you know, you don't have to be an accountant or a school teacher. I think that they should pursue their dreams and if they excel in science or math or have that desire for the robotics, that to go into engineering. You know, I mean, there's right now there's a lot more. Uh, it's skewed. There's more females than males going to college currently and they should really reach for the stars because they can do it. You know, it's, you can, you can really assert yourself and um, make a difference, you know? And I think that it's important that, you know, people out there that they could hear that, you know, that they understand that, you know, it, you don't have to settle. You don't have to, you know, don't have to be the traditional nurse or, or school teacher to to excel and and go into that uh the sciences and the math oriented you know the computer science all those types of uh robotics and everything
3: yeah thanks for sharing did you feel because it's a male-dominated field did you feel that your career was harder because of that did you feel you have to manage it more closely in order to get those opportunities
0: you have to prove yourself a lot i think you know um the environment that I'm in, oftentimes, you know, you're the only female in the room, you're the only female at the table. And, you know, it's, it's more about, you know, once they understand, and it's, it's also being assertive too. you know, I'm kind of like a no nonsense person, and I speak my mind, and I'm not timid. And I'm very candid and straightforward. So it's, you you kind of have to establish that. And there's, You know, I mean, I don't golf. You know, I'm not, I'm not a fanatic about sports. So it's like you have to find something that you can talk to people about, right? You know, it's kind of interesting. You know, where where the conversation goes.
3: So because you've been so successful, net worth of over three and a half million, do people know whether employees or family members or friends do they know where you're at financially?
0: I do not share it with anyone. No not, not even family members. It's, it's bizarre, but I don't know. It's something that, um, I I keep private and, and, and the other, I guess, you know, the message that I'm going to have as well is that to make sure that if you are even people in their forties, they should have a will, they should have an estate plan so that that money goes where you want it to go. You know, I mean, in my father's situation, when he passed, um, He had, he had cancer and it was, you know, it was obvious that he was, it was not a good prognosis, but he didn't have a will when he passed away. And it was crazy that my, my, my mom had to go and uh, hire a lawyer. And it was one of these long drawn out things to get the family property that we, we had in the home. So I think it's really important that, you know, everybody should have a will have an estate, you know, have have everything in place so that you know there's no no situations where you know family members. It's it clearly goes where you wanted to go, where you intended to go. Whether it's you know, donating it to charities or uh, maybe I mean, I have I have everything in place and I feel real confident about that. So I think that's a good message too to to get out there because people don't know. I mean, I I don't I don't share the information as far. And I don't live an extravagant life. I live within my means, well within my means. So I think it would be a surprise.
3: Yeah, good for you. Well, does it surprise you that you've gotten to 3.65? Did you ever think you'd get there? Or do you kind of look back at that now and say, wow, you know, three and a half million dollars, how'd this all happen?
0: Well, I think oftentimes, I mean, just in people's conversation, uh, when they talk about somebody that's wealthy, you'll hear they'll, they'll flippantly say, well, he's a millionaire or she's a millionaire, you know, and that seems like that's like the bar is to be a millionaire. So to, to triple that, to be three and a half times that it was never my expectation to get there. You know, it's, it's kind of like slow and steady and it wasn't like a big goal to get to that number. And I know that, I mean, I think that I could live comfortably right now, but I just, I have a, a very good life. And I'm very grateful for, for everything that I have. I'm very blessed. And I try um, try to give back to uh, the church and things like that. And definitely one of the things that I've done uh, is I ended up getting a yoga certificate. So I'm a yoga teacher and I try to, to give back from that way because people... People come into the, the yoga studio and they oftentimes, I think that they're so saddled with troubles and whether it's financial or work or family or, you know, and you try to give them that sense of calm and that sense of ease. So that's something that I could share as well with people is is to, I when I teach yoga, I try to give that message, you know, to, to get them into their kind of like out of their heads, de-stress and to have a sense of peace when they leave.
2: I want to back back up just a little bit on the on the career thing and maybe speak to, you know, high school girls or college. How do you go about thinking about a career in engineering? What are steps and maybe advice that you would give them to, to kind of go that route?
0: I think what happens is a lot of um, a lot of people get to, uh, maybe they're a freshman, they're a sophomore, they're starting to think about college and what they're going to do. And oftentimes they don't know what discipline they want to go into. And a lot of people go into maybe their first year of college and they kind of maybe take the easier route and not the challenge with the maths and the sciences. But oftentimes I think that if they take a look at the opportunities and, uh, even the, the grants and the scholarships that are out there for women to get into the sciences and, and the math-oriented uh, fields, that there's, there's a lot of opportunity out there. And then I think that if they explored that, maybe as a sophomore or a junior, and steered into uh, something that's, that's challenging as opposed to taking the, you know, enter into college and maybe not declare your major until you're a sophomore. When I uh, went to college, we were able to look at the different engineering disciplines and we didn't have to actually declare which engineering field we wanted until the end of our freshman year. But when you went in, it was very heavy with uh, you had your chemistry and physics and calculus and a computer class. So it was. Very, very much uh, a lot. It was intimidating. And I remember as a freshman, uh, in the freshman seminar, they said, look to your right and look to your left. One of those people aren't going to be there when you graduate. So it was that intimidation, you know, almost like they scared you. But I would encourage people, you know, get, get into something that really you find your passion, you know, that you're excited about and pursue it. You know whether that's chemical engineering, electrical engineering, and there's a lot of opportunities for civil and robotics, the material science fields.
2: So, and just to finish up here with some rapid fire questions, what's the most expensive meal out that you've paid for?
0: Well, um, I'm very fond of the Lost Kitchen in Freedom, Maine, and Erin French is getting a lot of publicity lately. Uh, she's on Discovery Plus. I have been there and that is the most expensive meal but it's the best uh best experience ever. So that was in the neighborhood of about 360. I took my aunt there for her birthday and it was it was every penny was well spent.
2: Awesome. What's the most expensive car you've purchased?
0: That was probably in the late 90s and it was 32,000 and I think Right around that 99, 98, 99, I got that got religion and said I'm not going to be buying uh, any more used cars. So I, any more, I'm not going to buy any more new cars. I started buying just used cars from that point on. So about 32,000.
2: Okay, what uh, what's the most expensive trip you've taken or experience that you've paid for?
0: Uh, I've I've done a couple trips, uh, international trips, and I would say. A, a trip to Italy was probably about the most expensive, and that was in the neighborhood of 6000
2: Okay. What is still on your bucket list yet to be completed as it relates to an experience or trip?
0: Well, I'd love to go on a safari. If I had my druthers, I would want to go on an amazing uh, adventure. A safari would be the ultimate, you know, and I think that'll happen someday, and and I look forward to that. Just to look at the animals and admire them, Uh, not to hunt or anything like that. Yeah. Just to observe them.
2: Okay. How much TV a week do you
1: watch?
0: Oh, I don't watch very much TV at all. Um, I I do have a DVR. I'll DVR a few shows, but uh, I'd say on average I might consume anywhere from five to six, five to seven hours maybe in a whole week.
2: Okay. How many books a year do you read?
0: I'm not really a book person. I have the long drive. So I I do a lot of podcasts. I love the podcasts.
2: Okay. When it's all said and done, what is the plan for your money as it relates to when you leave this or or when you pass? Are you giving it to charity, giving it to family? Have you thought through that yet? Do you have all that in place or not quite yet?
0: I have everything in place, everything. And I've changed it up a couple of times as well. But some of the, some of that, Is going to go to children of friends that I have, that I've known for years, you know, to give them a chance. Uh, hopefully they put it towards something that's, you know, a value education or their lives going to actually, um, some of it's going to go to the uh, Catholic church. And then one of my, um, favorite charities is wounded warriors. And, uh, I was, I was in a situation where, um, a yoga class with a wounded warrior, uh, representative, and he taught the class. And I was very motivated at that point, you know, to give back to, to that organization and what they do for, for, uh, veterans and people that are in the hospital and hospitalized and give them, you know, give them hope. And I think that's a really good organization. So, but I I really believe in, in keeping that up to date. You know, I have a situation where I could contact, um, my lawyer and make adjustments and kind of tweak that. And it's, it's something that I think everybody should have in place so that your wealth and your hard-earned, you know, all those efforts go to something that you wanted to as opposed to somebody else deciding that for you.
2: So just to wrap up here, what would be your final words of advice for somebody who's just starting out or just getting ready to, to make their first investment?
0: Well, I, th- I think it's important they got to think about compound interest and where that's going to take them and to not go into a situation and get a lot of debt and incur a lot of debt try to live within your means and spend below the income wherever your income is at that stage of life i think it's important to spend below that and to really take advantage of any free money that's out there you know invest in the 401k get the match you know uh, invest in the ira the tax free growth And the compound interest is something that I think is, is it really works. There's, there's nothing, you know, there's no downside to it. It's, it's a commitment. And for my situation, it's, I kept the money in accounts. It wasn't really accessible. It was invested and it was tied up and it takes away any, any temptation to, to dive into that or, you know, to take any of that out. So keeping it out of reach and keeping things separate is also a good idea.
2: Awesome. That's Ann with a net worth of over $3.5 million. Thanks for coming on the show today.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks, Anne. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday
0: millionaire.